0: Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast, whether you're in the car, at the gym, walking your dog, or just taking a bit of time out for some creative and inspirational learning. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Now, today we have a returning guest. We have Iona Jackson, and she's from Ejurio. Now, Iona is head of research at Ejurio, managing a team of survey experts and data analysts through projects relating to stakeholder feedback in schools. Now, before she was on episode 228 talking about equality, diversity and inclusion amongst school staff. Now, Agerio have published their latest research examining pupil wellbeing, support systems in schools and how pupils feel about school. Now, this study drew on responses from 45,000 children, of which 15,000 were from primary. So this is a chance to get some real data-driven understanding of probably what many of us feel we know about well-being within schools from having obviously spending time with the with our students and our pupils now i hope this will give us some real insights and and some ideas of how we can go about making an education system which can be supportive for children and if they are struggling give us some ideas of the best way of going forward we'll be back chatting to iona after a quick thank you to our sponsor the national association for primary education is a non-political UK charity. As Vice Chair, I'm delighted to be hosting six online CPD events to enable you to be supported as educators, no matter where you are in the world. To find out more information, go to nape.org.uk forward slash online hyphen events. That's nape.org.uk forward slash online hyphen events. Hi, Ona, Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. It's been a little while since we we spoke, and you were on the Education on Fire podcast on episode two two eight. So, thanks very much. And for those people that haven't come across what it is that you do, and and um, and exactly what Adjuria is, give us a little bit of a, a bit of a background on that.
1: Sure. Um, so, yeah, thanks for having me again. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so, Adjuria, in more broad terms, um, is a stakeholder feedback company um, working with schools across England um, we have a a set of survey software um, that school leaders can um, arrange to take part in and um, we have surveys that are for staff members um, pupils parents and governors um, to give their feedback and then for the um, school leaders to access and understand the results and take action off the back of it um as i mentioned there's there's kind of four different key stakeholder groups that we currently work with um and the equality diversity and inclusion one which um you mentioned uh, it, that i was talking to you about in an earlier podcast is one of our staff surveys um, but we also have um, yeah pupil pupil experience and learning uh, learning experience and well-being that uh, i'm here to talk about today
0: so, give us a little bit of um, a bit of an understanding of of what the the pupil well being covered and the breadth of it, the number of pupils in schools and that kind of thing.
1: Certainly. So, um, the pupil learning experience and well being review, which is our whole survey, um, is a um, is 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 a survey that's broken into three parts, um, and we ran it in the summer. So from um, May to June of this year, we collected 45,000 responses from pupils across 165 schools. Um, And the topics are quite wide ranging. Um, So we have things on learning environment and learning excellence. So things like um, curriculum, assessment, learning process, relationships, extracurricular activities, uh, and things like that. And we also have a section on well-being. So health and emotional well-being, safeguarding and workload. Um, the report itself, which we launched um, in the end of November, focuses on well-being. Um, the reason why we focus on well-being is twofold. Firstly, um, because it's so important. Um, everything that we, we covered is, is important, but well-being has been increasingly important in recent years and sort of compounded by um, the pandemic. And also because the scores um, for well-being were slightly lower than the scores for the other areas um, that we covered in the survey. Um, so we launched our report, as I said, at the end of November. It is um, taking a closer look at the different elements of, um, of pupil well-being. So um, looking at overall well-being, um, stress, sleep quality, and, and other kind of symptoms of, um, of lower well-being. Um, but also kind of some of the underlying causes of of lower well-being and um, support that's available to pupils um, who are kind of struggling at, at any particular time.
0: And so what findings um, came out of this, I guess, ones that you, you maybe thought were, were likely to be the case or anything which was surprising as well?
1: Yeah, so um, I think one thing that that we can take away from this is that a lot of the findings were unsurprising. Um, they they support other research that has been that has been done in the past. Um, there are some things which have changed uh, quite significantly in our data set when you compare that to to others. So um, it's possible that that is an implication of the kind of effect of the pandemic um, or or some other kind of changes over time. Uh, But the overall findings, um, so what what we found is that overall, pupils are struggling with wellbeing. Um, Stress, overworking, sleep quality um, are an issue for a large number of pupils. So for example, um, only around half of pupils said that they um, are feeling quite or very well um, at the moment overall. Um, and around four in 10 said that they are sleeping quite or very well, um, recently. Uh, and on the flip side, around half, so 46% said that they're feeling stressed quite or very often. And, um, 43% said that they are feeling overworked quite or very often. Um, and there's some, um, reasonably significant differences when looking at different age groups. Um, so older pupils report lower well-being than younger pupils um, and stress and loneliness increase, um, sleep quality decreases and pupils feel worse overall as they grow older. So um, we, we saw kind of a negative trend um, when looking at overall well-being, dropping from 76% of pupils in year one who said that they felt well and only a third of pupils by the time they were in Um, GCSE and A-level years um, feeling well lately Um, and we all saw kind of uh, relatively steady increases in stress as pupils um, went through the school years Um, And then when it comes to sleep quality and overworking, we saw a couple of spikes. We saw saw the overall increases in in things kind of getting getting worse, or feeling overworked or not sleeping well. Uh, We did see the increases, but we also saw specific spikes um, at certain years. So um, in GCSE and A-level years, so year 11 and year 13, we saw spikes in poor sleeping and in feelings of overworking. Um, And if I now kind of focus on, focus on the primary school um, side of things for a little while because we kind of see we kind of see throughout that it's worse for secondary school pupils um, and I think that as, as reading this as a, as a kind of primary school leader you might think oh okay we're, we're doing all right we're, we're, we're doing a lot better than than um, than than other pupils in, in, in secondary schools, um, but there's still quite a lot to, to think about um, just within the primary years. So we can see, again, kind of relatively steady declines in well-being um, between years one and year six. So looking at overall wellness, um, we can see, as I mentioned, 76% of year ones and only 59% of year sixes. Um, and we also see some relatively big drop-offs in well-being um, between year six and year seven. So, um, the largest decrease in well-being uh, in overall well-being um, came between year six and year seven when when pupils are making the transition to secondary school. Um, and we also saw, as I mentioned, yeah, kind of um, some some increases in stress and, and overworking as as pupils go through primary school. Um, and we've done some work on that with Daniel Moose, who is um, former head of research at Offset and now um, works works in kind of education research more broadly. Um, and he has he's offered some some suggestions on that and sort of said as i say even though the story is better for primary school um there's still a lot to a lot to be done and, and some of the ideas that he had are around kind of um helping to prepare pupils for that transition so um co- co- good cooperation with the um destination schools um visits and helping helping in kind of uh, preparing pupils for what they can expect once they once they enter secondary school um and having extra Perhaps at, at the start of secondary school, kind of some pastoral provision available for pupils that are that are joining from a range of different primary schools, um, and also thinking about the increase in stress, um, the the fact that by by year six pupils are feeling more stress, and by year seven, um, again there's 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 perhaps something to be done on um, helping. Um, helping pupils to prepare for the increase in assessment and increasing kind of attainment-based focus as as pupils move through the years. So um, as their understanding grows, so might their their kind of feeling of academic pressure. Um, And so uh, perhaps there's more to be done to help create a culture where SATs uh, in year six aren't the be-all and end-all and that growth is central rather than raw attainment um, in in pupil development. Um, So that's a a detour into into the age side of things. And then I'll I'll come back out now and talk about um, kind of support networks available um, when pupils are are, um, struggling. So overall, we found that loneliness was an issue for a quarter of pupils. Um, 25% of people said that they felt lonely um, quite or very often. Um, and only around half, so 53% said that they felt lonely, rarely or never. Um, and actually, we found that most pupils, uh, sorry, that many pupils don't feel that they have an adult at school that they can trust and talk to. Um, so we found that just under four in 10, um, 37% of people said that they rarely or never have an adult at school who they trust and can talk to, um, whilst only um whilst only 41% said that they they feel that they do have somebody um, that they trust and can talk to quite or very often. Um, And lastly, um, thinking about kind of support networks, so in a bit more detail. So we asked, um, who do you talk to um, when you feel sad or worried? Um, And the largest group, uh, the, the 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 group which most um, people selected was parents so forty eight percent of people said they speak to their parents forty one percent said they speak to their classmates um, and then teachers came in third at twenty nine percent so a relatively significant drop between uh, between non teaching non teaching uh, relationships and, and teachers um, and I think relatively alarmingly we found that 15% of pupils said that they speak to nobody um, when, they're feeling, um, when they're feeling sad or worried. So, if I just quickly summarise that I, I've spoken <laughs> quite quickly and about a lot of things, so I'll just I'll just summarise those things. So, what we found is that um, pupils are struggling with their overall wellbeing, stress, overworking, and sleep quality is an issue for a large number of pupils, um, and we found that. Older pupils report lower wellbeing than younger pupils. Um, stress and loneliness increase, sleep quality decreases, and people feel pupils feel over worse overall as they grow older. And there's quite a lot um to be done perhaps in the earlier years as a primary leader um, that, that can help with that. Um, and then finally, I, I talked about loneliness and we, we found that that's an issue for a, por- a quarter of pupils um, and many feel that they don't have an adult at school they can talk to and a higher proportion of pupils will talk to their classmates rather than their teachers. Um, a whistle stop tour through an awful lot of information. Um, hope, that's, hope that's useful.
0: I think it's, some um, like you say in so many ways it's unsurprising um, and my overwhelming feeling and it has been for a long time is that well-being is talked a lot about in education but the setup of education in so many ways is actually causing the problem like you like to say you know the focus on sat schools are accountable for for all these things related to ofsted you know children do transition in in year 6 into year 7 you know th- there is a sense of as you go through school you can really see i mean i've had the privilege of working across all age groups and you have children coming in at the lower end into primary through nursery and they're still just so excited about life and everything's exciting and it's based around play. And you just see as each year goes by, they get slightly kind of a little bit more jaded as it suddenly becomes more about more work. It's exciting to learn to read and then you have to learn to read and then you have to do this and you have to do that. And then, like you say, there's this sort of testing going on and exams on the horizon. Um and of course, if the system was different, you know if the setup was different, if the accountability was different, then we wouldn't need this. And it's almost like some of the the well-being provision and some of the things that are available are almost like sort of sticky plasters that you're putting on something from a wound that you're actually creating anyway, which I think is the is the main reason for for thinking about sort of real change within education, which of course on education on fire we, we're talking about all the time. I think within within primary when we're talking about some of these things, I think you have to be very kind of fearless in kind of having that child-centered idea. That's what NAEP is all about in terms of having a sense of what is it that the child needs and then working around that. And the the way you go about curriculum, the way you go about learning, the way you go about having having the way that we're sort of learning together rather than just that impart, rather than just sort of imparting knowledge is is really, really key. and, and I think as soon as it becomes objective about results-based or about anything else, then that's when things start to get slightly out of kilter. And I think with that change of focus, then things could be so different.
1: Mm, I think it's really interesting. And actually, um, so as I mentioned, we've been working with Daniel Muse and in in the report, there's there's more reflections on on that. Um, there, there are more reflections on that from his side. Um, and he, he shares... He shares other research where, actually, adolescence is hard, um, and um, it's it's not that the one of the things that that is a key that is a key thing to take away here is that this isn't all school's fault. Um, that um, there there are there are factors external to school and external to um, anything. So kind of biological factors, societal factors, and so on that are contributing to lower. Um, to lower well-being um, but as you say are there other things that schools are doing that are making things worse and then providing these things as, as sticking faster I think one one of the challenges and um, a couple of challenges actually is is how to measure well-being and I think um, the the work that we've we've done with this survey and other surveys available so um, the the big ask that was um, conducted by the Children's Commissioner also in the summer and and there's a, there's a number of other um, studies which which are now really focusing on people' well being, but there's there's no kind of one metric that we can focus on to say this is this is what's what's working. And I think when you've got something like attainment as a, you get some grades, that's a number that everyone can understand or, or a letter that everyone can understand, kind of how that how that translates into into something else, and and having something that is historically trackable um, is. It's, you can see why the focus would be on on one on, on the one that's easier to track track than others, um, and we've spoken to some some schools who've who've mentioned sort of they they just didn't they had all these they had various uh, pastoral things in in place, but it's hard to know that there's no easy measure of kind of how of the success of those of those different um, measures until you have things like a survey that you can take. Um, ongoing to, to see how those how those results are changing. Um, I didn't even mention COVID then when I just said about um, societal factors. But yeah, they're, 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 there's things that are so far outside of the control of, of schools that um, that it makes it it makes it really complicated. And one of the things that we've we've talked about um, since is around kind of the the cause, and the symptoms and, and how you tackle which which you tackle and how you tackle and if, if there's a difference between the two of those. And, and I think one thing um, I mentioned this in a, in a webinar with the CST that I did a, a couple of weeks ago, but that you might look at this and, and say, Oh, we can see there's a large drop off in, in wellbeing as people move into secondary school. We can fix that by not sending pupils to secondary school. And and that's obviously not a solution. That's not a workable solution. And so the focusing on managing the symptoms and managing kind of the, the, the feelings of anxiety that come with these changes is is maybe uh, is is maybe is maybe time better spent. Um, I also want to mention around kind of the attainment thing um, that um, and this is something that, that is referenced by Daniel in the report. Um, we had a we had a trial run at not doing exams uh, last year and the, and the year before with uh, switching to the the teacher assessment. Um, approach you with because of COVID. And we know that that's not perfect either. And I think there's, 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 we're at a point now where we know, we know, things aren't working, we know how, how the situation is. And I think it's kind of, yeah, we're, we're there's a lot to be done, and a lot of things to try out, um, to see kind of, yeah, what, what we can do going forward to, to, to improve these things or help pupils manage things that we can't um, influence.
0: Yeah I, th- I think there's some really important points there um and you're right about you know that the the external influences and you know biology that kind of thing especially for for teenagers as they're going through um I think I think there are two or three things which can make a really big difference um one I think is related to the overwork and that's actually having space around every child's life to actually have what they need you know because They are working flat out in school for a number of hours. and then there's also a lot of homework. Um, I mean, we, we've had teenagers go through the thing. <laughs> there's a lot of work going on, and is as parents, you know, if you're trying to offer and support a, a broad um, lifestyle, which is very supportive, which includes, you know, sort of physical activity or clubs or the arts and that kind of thing. Of course, that all adds extra time pressure, but also has a a, a real positive impact on having a, a broader kind of life balance, as it were, with those sorts of things. So I think, I think having um, a broader a curriculum, or, or 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 broader focus on how much time is needed to rest, and how much time is needed to actually have a have kind of a a curriculum which has got the the breadth and and I guess the the overall length of time needed, so that on any given day, you know, if you need more time to relax or more time to recuperate or whatever, there's that sort of flexibility in there. And again, that becomes very personalized and it's also very difficult to do in mass education. But I think even just thinking about those sorts of things would make would make a really big difference. And I think the transition um, from primary to secondary is, is really interesting. And I think a lot of anxiety comes from the unknown. And, and you know, I think actually being able to have more um, ongoing relationships with secondary schools than primary, so they get to know what that environment is like. I think what you mentioned before about having, you know, a little bit more of a transition both ends. So, you know, being able to visit the school before you would go into year seven is really interesting. But I think also not having more than a day or two to acclimatise and then you're into secondary school kind of thing. I I I know, for example, i think the first assembly my my youngest daughter had in her secondary school mentioned doing gcses (laughs) and Mm. i think that's five years off of where they are now at the moment they're worried about how they find their class and who their friends are and, and being alone feeling lonely you know i i just think being aware of exactly the real pain points of of many students and pupils at that sort of age and how you then guide those sorts of things can make a make a really big difference and of course there isn't a one size fits all you know every school is different every pupil is different um and and, and that's a that's a really big factor and I, and I think the other thing that you mentioned in terms of of where you get support when you need it um and it's you know you hope that a child feels like they can go to their parents but that isn't always the case or maybe they're not even in a situation where that would be the case um and of course friends are need to be part of your your fabric and, and your framework but of course they may not be the person that can give you the best advice because of course they're in the same age in the same situation as you so having having someone outside of that and a teacher one of the things i've noticed with with our children is the fact they always want to necessarily that sense of not getting it wrong not feeling like you're you don't know something or you're not able to cope with something there isn't a culture with an education about the failure idea or not knowing or it being okay to feel like you're struggling um and and so it's that kind of I guess that comes as part of like we said in terms of the space in terms of the culture of what you think learning is all about what it is that you're trying to do Um, and you're right about you know talking about the GCSEs and A-levels and those kind of things you do have this sense of, actually, it's all about this day. It's all about this exam. This, my whole life is going to change based on this these few mm-hmm. weeks. And we know in reality that's not the case. You can always retake. You can do something when you're older. You can, you know. But at the time, you've had your entire school system gearing up to this one thing. Of course, you're going to be stressed. Of course, that's going to be something which is going to be um, difficult for people to do. And actually, like I said, the system could be different to help do that. On the flip side of course is the fact that life isn't straightforward and actually you are going to have points in life where you're unhappy that you are stressed there is something going on which you have to deal with and you need to have the tools and the understanding of knowing actually this is a stressful time whether i want it to be like this or not whether it's you know in school or whether it's when you're older or whether you're going through a difficult period of anything what are the tools what's the understanding what's the what's the where's the place and like I say where's the mentor where's the person you can go and get that support and I think again that's the kind of where you need the breadth and the time for people to start to understand what mechanisms they need in their life to be supportive and know that all these things that are going on are actually tools and things that can help you grow into the life that you want to have whether it's a qualification whether it's a, a mentor it's a support network it's a club it's a Um, a group of people that are able to sort of hold you when you need that extra support and all of these are incredibly important skills which shouldn't be soft skills or academic skills or however you want to compartmentalize them they're actually life and learning and you being a human being and how you want to take that forward and I think that then has a very different feeling about what well-being is so it's not about feeling well or feeling unwell or feeling stressed or not it's about where's the harmony in this life and as uh, is there something which isn't quite working and can what mm. can we change amongst that kind of harmony and that balance which can then make enough of a difference for us to start to understand oh yes there are certain things here that I can change which I would then hope could sort of help more and more people
1: yeah I think on the what, what you were saying at the end there about kind of sometimes sometimes life is stressful um, I think that's I think that's really really important to think about and actually as I mentioned those kind of spikes in stress that are in overworking and, and poor sleep quality at the at the point of um, GCSE and A level um, years I think actually that's that's something that perhaps we can be talking about from the start of year ten or somewhere that we're heading into a, a period that is going to feel stressful here are some ways of managing stress and building resilience and, and, and helping, helping to develop those skills rather than either being surprised that they're stressful. I, I think most, uh, I, from my perspective at least, I wasn't surprised that I was stressed when I was doing my GCSEs and A-level, but I didn't actually have any coping mechanisms. It was just something that I, I'm stressed. I was, I'm meant to be stressed because I'm doing GCSEs, but actually I could have perhaps had some kind of already been building in kind of mindfulness techniques or, or something that could help me t- to manage those things. Um, I think on the point you made about yeah, those those support networks and, and going to classmates, it's that's something that we cover in a bit more detail in the report because we worked with a with a former pupil. Um, she's currently a first year student at university, um, but when we were writing the survey last year, she helped us with the question on who do you talk to when you're feeling sad and worried. Um, and the reason behind that was that she had Spent most of her secondary school years being the person that friends went to when they were feeling sad or worried. Um, and that was a something that she was very proud of, and something that she was extremely happy to have been able to be supportive in those times. But she was also nervous about whether or not she'd given bad advice, um, unsure when she should tell somebody else what she's been told, because she'd be breaking their trust but actually she maybe someone else was was needed to get involved um and and that all was a was a source of additional anxiety for her and I think you've you you might end up in a position where if if your main uh source of kind of support when you're stressed is is another pupil um there might be a sort of um vicious cycle when you get to stressful times for everybody so around exam times people are feeling stressed talking to their friends about and needing support from their friends who are to help them through that stress but actually that's giving the 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 support the supporting friends kind of more and more stress so you might end up kind of yeah kind of getting making things things worse and worse so I think it's yeah it's a really interesting it's a really interesting topic and and on the on the kind of teacher side of things some of the some of the things that came out in the comments um, from pupils, so in in each question um, or in most questions, pupils were able were invited to write comments if they had anything additional to say. Um, and in some of the comments, we see things that suggest that pupils that that some pupils don't see their teachers as as anything other than teachers. Um, so, for example, this person is here to teach me maths. They're not here to. I, I shouldn't be asking them for help on anything else because they're a maths teacher and that's what that's what our relationship is um and so I think yeah there's, there's an element of um and I don't know how prevalent that is because that's come up in a couple of comments rather than something that we that we kind of asked outright um but it, there's perhaps an, an element of yeah not not knowing that teachers are available for for well-being support um because they're in they're in the box of they're my maths teacher or they're my music teacher and, and so on.
0: And I think also that, that teachers are incredibly busy, and they're, there's they're, there's so much going on. Um, and again, this is a little bit coming back to the time and the breadth. Is the fact that when when are you when are you going to do that? You know, when are you going to have that opportunity to be able to say, right now, I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to ask for support because you know is it at the end of a class is it at the beginning of a class you know or can i just have a quick word here and they don't necessarily have time so i think actually having a chance to actually have the breadth of being able to understand and know that Mm. this is this is an environment where i can actually take the time um and and i think i think that happens obviously many teachers are also parents it's that kind of it's it's the car journey when you're not needing to talk about anything specific but you've got the time to talk about something a little bit more generic that opens up the, the opportunity to mention something about you know it's not that di- that direct kind of i now need help and support because by which time you're often a long way down that well-being path of actually really not being um, in a particularly great place Mm-hmm. And 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 so I think a lot of it is kind of sort of raising the bar to what is possible. Um, so you've got sort of both sides of the coins, really, you know, you've got an environment which is supportive for children. And at the same time, the, the opportunity when things do start to um, feel like they're, they're more pressured or, or they're starting to struggle, that they, they, there's an easy kind of, oh, I'm just going to sort of, you know, sort of meander into this part of my life here. And I know this person's there to support me. And, and, and I think that it needs to be more fluid like that as pupils, to teachers, to, to parents, to other people within your, your community. And we talk a lot about community, um, but that really is everyone involved with any given pupil based on their own circumstances.
1: Yeah, and I think I think on on that front, there's also there's there's as you said, you mentioned about kind of where you are on the well-being journey and on the kind of well-being uh, scale. Um, and, and actually, there's 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 a world that, <laughs> that maybe maybe one day, if time and 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 so on allows, that that actually the the well well-being is. There's a, there's a kind of preventative side of things that is also that is also kind of built into every element of a people's, um, and well, and just people in general of their lives kind of, um, their, the, the, the safe spaces are there when someone needs to talk to somebody. But actually also before that, there's, 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 the environment is created in such a way that helps people a, either kind of yeah, build resilience and, and, and build coping mechanisms for when times are more stressful, and also kind of yeah prevents prevents people from getting into that point on the um well-being journey where they where they do need to be kind of seeking help
0: and i think um i think for teachers and and actually educational establishments i think actually understanding that your first priority actually is to any given child at any given time than necessarily to What's perceived to be important in terms of the accountability? Because we, we we all know that you know everyone involved in education is doing it because they want to help and support so many people. Um, and I think people get sometimes a little bit bogged down in, in what they think they have to do. And they forget the implication to any given child. And and because, you know, we can talk all day about the fact we could have wholesale change in education and that would change everything. And it would make a difference, but it might not make the difference we think it does. I mean, who, who we're not going to know that. And it's also not going to change overnight. Um, but um, as as, as an example... Um, you know, obviously we know that we're currently in, in, in a pandemic. Um, and, and my daughter was off school. Um, and the first thing that got sent out from the school was an, an email that said, um, you're not in school. Um, here's all the links of everything you need to do in terms of online learning. It didn't say, We hope you are well. It didn't say you can do this when you feel you're able to, because they had no idea how poorly she was or not. Mm-hmm. Um and it was all just purely about the fact that you have to keep learning. And I actually saw this email and replied and said, you know, it's a little bit of a shame that you didn't actually even ask if she was in a position to do any work on any mm. given day. And the response was, but the government of uh, the remit is that we have to make sure we do this. And I completely understand, you know, they have to do certain things which they're done. But the human element was completely lost. It was it was all about the fact we have to provide this. You know, it would have only have needed two sentences within an email that said we understand you're off school we accept that you may be poorly this is these are the steps when you're in a position to do it and 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 I think that sort of thing isn't wholesale system change but it makes a massive difference to the perception of when what school is about and what you're able to do how they're supporting you and how you fit within what is perceived to be education in, in their kind of world
1: yeah I think that's really interesting and I I um was having a chat with with a school leader um, just recently and she she sort of said uh, she she sort of said lockdown two the one in January was was <laughs> she I can't remember quite it was she used wording to the effect of it was our best lockdown yet or something like that and, and what she meant by that was the one last year in in March where it was so sudden and there was there was kind of no room to plan really and and suddenly we're we're switching and and there was just um a need to deliver on every single front from a well-being perspective but also from an attainment perspective making sure that pupils were attending and, and and all of these things learning how to use remote technology um for for a number of staff as well um that by the time of the January lockdown a lot of those things had had been ironed out and they were able to do a lot more kind of well-being provision um and 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 make make space make space for kind of discussions um but even with all of that it was um as I mentioned it was it was their best lockdown yet but it was still not good and, and they and pupils came back to school and um they had higher instances of, Um, self-harm or eating disorder um than they had had in their school before um the the January lockdown um and they they it's just it was just an an example of how the the virus has been it's too big for anybody (laughs) we we we've not fixed it and and we're we're trying our we're trying our best and I think that um that is a that's true across kind of um, many many sectors, but in education, it's it, I imagine that the, the, the feeling is is it's felt even more keenly because not only are you managing um, yourself through a pandemic, but you're also managing future generations. And and I think um, yeah, the 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 struggle um, of of kind of everybody has been has been obviously enormous. But but yeah, I think within the education sector, trying to keep up. Uh, existing standards of attainment or attendance or other kind of measurable um, performance-based things but also trying to yeah keep keep everybody um well and 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 happy and and so on it's 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 a herculean task um and yeah i, I as you say that where well, could be wholesale change but a we're with fighting on a, a lot of fronts at the moment in this kind of ongoing crisis mode from the pandemic but also there is so many things where there could be change um that at uh, that and such limited resource within the sector um, that i think it yeah it's it's a it's a long journey um yeah
0: it is and 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 the fascinating thing from what you just said there is is i think that that, that probably the the, the the crux of all of it is the fact that trying to keep the attainment trying to keep the standards trying to keep everything going as if nothing had happened and and that is absolutely balmy isn't it in so many ways you know i often use this analogy of that you know if i'm an athlete and i break my leg i don't expect to run my race as fast next week Is I would have done because I physically can't. I'm on crutches. Mm. I'm not able to do anything. You know, life has thrown me something which was unexpected. And therefore, I might still want to run this race. I might still be the best athlete out there. But I've got... To get the cast off i've got to retrain i've got to rehabilitate and actually my focus is then on the race which is in three months or six months or next year and that's how life is you know everything moves the goalposts move based on the situation that you're in but mm-hmm. we've sort of created this world where things have to happen at a certain time even through a global pandemic even through you know the whole world changing in, uh, overnight almost but we're still not able to say ah oh, we we're just going to do it differently now in, in 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 a different way and i and i and i just think while that may be complicated while it may be different it is able to be done in certain circumstances and actually i think when education really starts to starts to see that that is what's needed whatever it is even if it's just a kind of oh well this year we're just going to educate and we're going to do everything we possibly can some of it's going to be remote some of it's going to be in person some of it's going to have some kind of exam some of it's going to be a different type of an exam you know these children are going to be the the product of being through an education system while there's been a pandemic in the same way as These children were products of learning and living through a World War II, for example. You know, their learning and education experience was very different than those children who were born 10 years earlier. And it should be different because the world was in a very different place. But there doesn't seem to be any allowance that actually it can look different and that's okay and we have an entire lifetime to be able to to learn maybe the extra bit of things that we supposedly in inverted commas haven't learned yet or we're going to take a little bit of time or we're going to re or we're going to make sure that emotionally and physically we can get back to where we wanted to be before we put those structures back in place and I just think even if you're just having a conversation about that like we are today, then, then, then that just changes the fact that I I think it just changes the environment, which therefore I think affects our wellbeing overall anyway.
1: Yeah. So I I think that, um, I think that I'm at this point purely speculating about (laughs) what might happen in a world after COVID, but I think there's a, there's a chance that actually once we're, once we're out, because we've been in a constant state of flux now for nearly two years, um, I think actually perhaps in, in a few years' time we'll, we'll look back and, and we'll will those allowances will will be there because actually we didn't know it was going to last this long and we we're still in it. And and so I, I think that there's a there's a there's a chance that we will actually that will be the case and that those allowances allowances might be there. But the other thing I would say is that the fact that A, the fact that 40 so many people took part in our survey, um and so many more took part in the in the big ask I think there was a half a half million um half a million pupils took part in the big ask and and um took part in ours the fact that that many schools are getting involved to find out how their pupils are doing are kind of downloading our report are engaging with all of these with all of the topics and, and I think the conversation is is growing and growing um, it's it's not it's not the case that schools don't care about well-being. I think it's very much not that ca- not the case, and I think that there's there's with the conversation is ongoing, um, and things like this. So, so like the work that we're doing at Jurio, but also elsewhere, and and kind of um, additional well-being training or charities that that focus on kind of the well-being of young people. I think all of these things are contributing to um, starting to build that utopian world that that we that we are that we are looking for um and we're a long way from it and and a big part of that is I believe the constant flux that we've been in for the last two years the the limited resources the the number of things that we're trying to achieve all at once Um, but I think that yeah I think it is something that is growing whether or not it's growing in importance, I think it was always very important, but it seems that it's growing in action. I think there are more people getting involved in trying to um, tackle the issue of, of the well-being of young pupils. Um, so, so that is, re- that is, <laughs> that is reassuring, um, not, not necessarily for the pupils that are currently in a pandemic trying to do exams and, and, and all of those things, but hopefully in the long term um, for everybody.
0: Absolutely. And like you say, it's it's a very large subject. And I think I think the answer to everything that I've ever had a conversation on, on the podcast has always been the fact that having these conversations about big change is really important. Having conversations about how it can be different are really important. But the only thing you can actually ever do is what you're doing at this moment. Um, and so from a child's point of view, a pupil's point of view, giving them the skills and the understanding of what they can do to support themselves whatever their circumstances are I think from a school's point of view and a teacher's point of view just always remembering you know that piece of advice you give to a child now or this environment you're creating in your classroom or how you frame something has a massive impact today and that's the only thing that you can do it's only in this moment um and I think that's really important to know that you know we can have these wide-ranging things with the wholesale change to the you know just i'm just changing the one thing i talk about today or how i go about it um and giving like say that these skills and understanding and i think the work that you're doing is, is highlighting what we know but i think like i say the more evidence that's out there the more we're wanting to do that and actually giving people the skills that they need and the options about how they go about their lives even within any given education system because of course every school is different, every area is different, every country is different. So how those things are making a big difference are are really, really important. And one thing I'll just mention just before we move on is, um, uh, the national Association for primary education we have um, a CPD training at the beginning of the summer term um, on well-being and um, and specifically focusing on that transition the year six into year seven so um do look out for that um, on the on the nape website nape.org.uk and um, keep up to date with all those things because I think that's going to be a really important thing for everyone involved in in primary so tell us a little bit about um, an education experience or a teacher which has had an impact on on your life Iona and just um and in sort of in the context of kind of what we've been talking about today you know how these things can be really positive
1: yeah um so I I had a teacher uh, who was, she was my history teacher in um I, I had her in year, I think I had her for most years. I definitely had her for GCSE and for A-Level. Um, but I, I also had her in in some of my uh, pre-GCSE years as well. And um, I found her to be um, a, a really, she had a really, really strong impact on me because she was quite, um, I think firm but fair is probably the most accurate definition of her. <laughs> um, but actually, she was so much more than that, because I, I remember kind of arriving in year seven and, and she laid out kind of quite specific rules for her classroom and, and what we needed to be, how we conduct ourselves um, in her lessons. And she was very, very consistent on that. And sort of the first um, I remember the first few months of, of lessons with her, there might be somebody being um one of us might have not behaved in the way that it was in line with what she had had said. This is how we behave in my classroom, um, and so and she was always consistent in kind of saying that's not how we do things. This is how we do things, um, and, and so on. And initially, I I was um, I was a bit. I don't, I was never scared of her, I, I was always just sort of like, I I know, I need to, I need to learn the rules of her classroom, um, and and once, and that was, and that was over really quickly, and the moment we kind of, everyone in the classroom knew how to, knew how to work with her, she knew how to work with us, and then for the rest of our time together, and for me, I think, as I said, I think it was pretty much every year that I was at school, um, everybody knew kind of, yeah, what what we needed to do, how we needed to to behave as a kind of and, and what, what we did with our books and all, all, all of the things there were a lot of different things that, that were laid out and that meant that from that point onwards everything that we did was about learning and enriching ourselves and, and we went past kind of the the history curriculum we we did a lot of things on um she I think she was a really good teacher academically as well I think she she um I I loved learning history with her and I I think she she was an extremely good teacher but she was also then able to have those kind of she once we'd got past that we had the relationship with her and it was a relationship built on mutual respect because she'd set our she'd set her expectations with us we knew what her expectations were we were both on, on both sides, kind of teacher and class, um, both kind of interacting with each other in the way that, that worked for, 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 for the class. And once we had that in place, it was, yeah, you could have a kind of really nice conversation with her. You could kind of, she could take you to one side if, if, there, was, if there was an issue. Um, and I remember um, a, a friend of mine who had done very well at, at um, History GCSE but she hadn't quite got the five A-star to that she required to to come back full time to do A-levels at my school. Um, and my teacher um, basically put her foot down and said, I want her to come and do A-level history with me. She is capable. She's she's strong. And I, and I want her here. And, and the fact that she had built that relationship with us over those years and was able to kind of say, I, I have this, this feeling about this one pupil, we should... We should fight for that. And and I think that was just really, really wonderful. And, and as I say, from my perspective, she was she was always caring and, and lovely to to me. Um, but there's also kind of that 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 played out in action when there was another people that that kind of needed someone to believe in them. And and she did that.
0: I think that's fantastic. And it just reinforces what I hear so much now. It's it's about relationships, it's about everyone understanding each other like say even within the rules of a classroom or a way of working it's it's about more than just the the imparting of knowledge or even the learning that you're doing it's much more about a growing together and, and, a, and an evolving relationship as you get older like you say as you go through school as well and i think that's really really important to hear so is there anything that you would give advice to your younger self about and and i often caveat this with the fact that of course our younger self may not take this advice on board but i think it's a fascinating thing which i think that when we sort of hear it we go oh yes if i if i even if i was just aware of it i would maybe had a slightly different take on on what i was doing at the time
1: yeah um so i the the advice would be to actually a not much younger um self um so i um throughout my pretty pretty much i'm not not quite sure when it started but certainly most of my adult life i've i've had some issues with anxiety um and that has translated into um panic attacks at times and and yeah kind of Periods of times where I've been feeling very, very anxious, and then other periods of times when I've when I've not been feeling anxious. Um, and there's a couple of things that I would like my former self to to be aware of. Firstly, um, there was a lot of time that I was proud to be feeling anxious, um, and, and not that I should be ashamed. And I, I'm not ashamed, but I I used my anxiety to make me work harder, and I kind of I kind of said. This is a good thing that I'm feeling like this because it's making me um, work harder, push myself harder, and and I'm and I'm achieving um, I'm achieving more than I would be if I wasn't feeling like this. Um, and whilst I believe that that is true, that I did achieve more, <laughs> I have achieved more as a result of being um, nervous about what would happen if I if I wasn't achieving those things. Um, actually, I don't necessarily need to be achieving too much <laughs> all of the time and 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 perhaps putting myself under a, a state of constant pressure was was not um was not the right thing. Um but the other thing is as i said i have got some advice from my quite recent um self um last year i really struggled um with feelings of anxiety and 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 stuff as a result of the pandemic as a result of kind of various other things as well. Um and what i would like to have been able to say to Iona from um, summer 2020 is um, this is a this is a you're, you're in a current you're in a phase um, and this is cyclical and this is going to get better like purely by time going by this is going to get better um, and, and being able to kind of identify when something is when something that's giving me anxiety is is actually stress based on something that's really happening or whether it's anxiety that's coming about through my own thought process and and I'm kind of um, for want of a better word spiraling Um, and so being able to kind of say actually this is just a bad stage that you're in at the moment give it some time and it's going to get better Um, so yeah I'd I'd like to have said that I'd like to have known that a year ago and and I'm trying very hard to remember that and 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 have this kind of speech ready to go next time I'm I'm sort of feeling I'm feeling bad um so yeah that's that
0: (laughs) yeah I think it's so important and I think the whole it's something as I get older as well the whole sense of of life being in seasons you know um when you you know when you're a student um in university that feels very different than when you're at school or when you you become a parent or or when you're in this job as opposed to that job or when you have to move or whatever that you know like say that there are sort of ebbs and flows with all of those things and um and and there are seasons when that's just the case. You know, it might be that you you're struggling with anxiety. It might be that you've um, been in a position where you've lost a loved one, and therefore you're grieving. It's like, you know, like you say, over time, it just it changes. And um, and I, I'm I'm interested to know, do you think, you know, if like you said, if you could have given yourself that advice, um, that would have made all the difference. But do you think there was an opportunity or a situation where you could have received that advice? it would have made a difference you know do you think you know if you'd heard it in school if, or if you had a mentor if you had a different environment to have been able to have, have, have heard it and taken it on board at a different part or an earlier part of your life it, it would have actually made a really big difference
1: so I I'm not sure and, and I think if someone else had said that to me last year I'd have said what are you talking about? Of course, it's never going to get better. <laughs> this is life is just terrible, and 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 I wouldn't have been able to see that. But I think to having these kind of things in place when things are good, and sort of being able to say it's not always going to be it's not always going to be great, and that's okay because, as you say, things come ebb, ebb and flow, and it is kind of quite sees life goes in seasons and so on. And I think building building in that building in that space to build resilience and to be okay with temporarily not being okay when you are okay and you're, you've got the kind of capacity and the headspace to, to, to know that and to sort of say to yourself like kind of, okay, well what happens next time? What are we going to do it in, in those cases? And I think, yeah, having, having that as an ongoing conversation that um, the, the, other people are working on with me um i think yeah would, would be would be really valuable and, and i don't know if it would be a case of just one one moment in time someone giving me some advice to sort of to, to, to do those things but on an ongoing basis sort of yeah helping to build that resilience i think would would be exceptionally um valuable
0: Yeah, I I think that ongoing, because like you say, you need it today, but didn't need it yesterday or if you or and and I think that's where the idea of having a tapestry of learning is really important, because, you know, it might be that when you were age 10, for example, when you first heard about the idea of having a balanced life or having a mentor or having someone that you can talk to if you were um, in you had anxiety wasn't relevant then. But if you hear these things enough and then you do find that you need support and need somewhere, there's that kind of, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, there's this place I can do or they said speak to this type of person or look out, you know, I just think the answers are there as in when you need them whereas if these conversations never happen if you're not aware of them if you're not if you don't if you don't really ever fully feel the fact that being physically active can give you a different feeling in your body than not being physically active or you know if you have if you can express yourself through the arts um, that gives you um, an outlet of something which you don't have if you're purely just in your mind all the time Mm. it might be that you don't experience those every day it might not be that there would Within your passion set but you know you've got something you can explore if you need to and I think that's where like I said that sort of tapestry idea and that conversation about how much that's just related to schools, how much it's related to your overall community, your own, your environment, all of those things are are really, really important. And uh, this is probably a whole nother podcast that we, we could go into as well. But I think, pe- like, again, pe- people hearing this, you know, teachers, parents, you know, pupils even, you know, it's that kind of, you know, ah, oh, right. Yeah, there's something here. There's something that I can connect to about how that how that works. Yeah. Um and just finally, is there a resource you'd like to share with us that's had a, an impact on your life? And it can be a song, a video, book, um, podcast—can be absolutely anything. But something which you'd like to share with us? Uh,
1: yes, I'd like to share with you a person. Um, so Matt Haig, um, who is a journalist come um, author, um, he has written a variety of books. Um, some of them um, novels about. Um, about a range of topics, but a lot of his his stuff is on the theme of kind of mental health. Um, and he wrote a book that I listened to as an audiobook book um, sometime last year, Actually, I think it, I think it was earlier this year, um, called Reasons to Stay Alive, um, and he had struggled really badly with depression, anxiety, and panic disor- disorder um, throughout his twenties. And his his kind of dark days were way darker than than any of my dark days have been. But um, he talks in a lot of detail about kind of how he felt in those moments, how he's recovered, and how he's how he's feeling now. Um, and he I listen as I say I listen to an audiobook which he narrates. Um, And it's very kind of uh, real and it's very kind of personal. You feel like he's sort of talking to you. And I think it's really, really valuable for anybody who's either currently not feeling good or wants to remind themselves that sometimes you feel bad and then you can feel better afterwards. Um, And he's also written, um, as I say, he's written a range of books, but there's that one, which is kind of, it's, it's a novel slash memoir. So it talks through, it documents kind of his, mental health journey and how he's kind of been um since then but he's also written something called the comfort book um and that only came out this year and I'm I'm picking that up and putting that down um on and off it it has um it's not a I don't know what you would call it it's not a novel it's not a biography or anything it's it's a series of different things Um, so different recipes that he's Made that he that are sort of comforting or or so on, and different mindfulness. It's kind of a mindfulness handbook, actually, of yeah, lots of different things that he's done that he likes. And he kind of lays out at the beginning, this isn't advice for you to help you um, on your mental health journey. This is stuff that's worked for me and might therefore work for others. Um, And I think it's, yeah, really, really lovely. Book as I say, kind of recipes, um, exercise, and uh, things like that. And in in the um, reason stay alive book, he mentions about um, he does a lot of running, and I do a lot of running, um, not as much as I would like to recently, but um, I I find running to be kind of really really good for, for me and getting me to think differently and getting me to kind of yeah process process things um, well. And he talks about how he really liked that because where he had panic disorder and and often or Sometimes he would kind of have a panic attack and he would lose control of his breathing. He liked the fact that when he was running, he was getting out of breath and his heart rate was going up, but it was all under his control. Um, and, and yeah, finding other activities that that give him that help to restore and, and help to help him to feel good. Um, so yeah, I think I think Matt Haig is my is my resource um, that I would that I would um, recommend.
0: Fantastic. Well, know. thank you so much for, for being on the show. I really appreciate, obviously, sharing the, the information and the report and, and all of those findings. I think that's fascinating for people to hear, but also for your your authenticity and, and being honest and sharing some of your journey as well. I think the combination of those two things together and that personal um, connection which comes through that is uh, really important for so many people to hear. And, and I really hope that it, that and the resources that you shared are going to make a big difference to everyone. So, yeah, thank you so much indeed.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Um, Yeah, I've enjoyed talking to you. Um, Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.